0: The other side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. In partnership with the Columbus dispatch, the other side podcast is featuring a series of special podcast episodes called in black and white. The series is devoted to discussing race and its impact on society. Dr. Terrence Dean and I will be interviewing scholars, community leaders, and artists in relevant fields to try to answer some of the most important questions related to race and the black experience. And joining us today is Dr. Donna Ford, who is a distinguished professor in the College of Education and Human Ecology at The Ohio State University. Dr. Ford conducts research in gifted education and culturally responsive, multicultural, urban education and anti-racism. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Ford thank you for the invitation
1: yes thank you so much we're excited to have you here um i'm excited um we've been trying to make this happen your work is so extensive i remember um, when i was a student at vanderbilt and reading your work and being introduced to you um so very excited to have you here um to discuss um gifted programs for students of color but particularly um now that we're in a pandemic. Um, I've been thinking a lot about what's happening to young um, children, particularly young kids of color and in various schools throughout the country, but here in the state of Ohio, how that has impacted their learning, particularly those who are transitioning from high school to college because you know I'm on the end where, um, experiencing students who have not had the formative introduction to a college experience because they've missed the first, well, I guess the last two years of their um, high school experience and then transitioned right into a college experience. A lot of them sometimes are not at the level where I was hoping that they would have been. And I'm wondering overall if that has impacted gifted programs, um, the way they're teaching or the way they had to restructure uh, the disruption for students in their homes and the school life. So I would want to get your, uh, you know, your professional insights into that. But what should we be looking for, and how should we start advocating now for students who are in those gifted programs, but also students of color? Period. Um, where we're starting to see, like you know, students who are suffering, particularly during the COVID pandemic.
2: Well, those are some important um, questions, and I'm glad that um, you're asking them. I really think that just overall, just students, period, whether they're gifted education students or um, special education students,
0: yeah.
2: I think that we're all, they're all um, having some backlash and suffering from the pandemic, the COVID pandemic. But I don't think that there's anything that stands out in terms of gifted um, students being disproportionately affected. So can we
1: explain then how the pandemic um, Will particularly impact students of color differently from their, I guess, their white counterparts. You know, if that makes sense or, or is that, or, or have we not seen that yes. trend happen yet?
2: Oh, no, um, we're definitely seeing um, a backlash and the negative impact for um, Black students, especially those who uh, live in poverty or those who come from backgrounds where their parents don't have a college degree or an advanced degree. So, for example, they can't, um, Or don't know how they want to, but don't know how to um, homeschool their children, to teach their children, um, you know, while they while schools are closed uh, for various reasons. So like today, um, Columbus City Schools, all those schools are closed. And when I heard that, um, I think, you know, what about those families who um, one can't take off from work, but two who uh, can't. continue to educate their children. My grandson, he's 10, he's here with me this morning unexpectedly, but I'm very happy. And he brought in a school project where he um, thankfully is doing a project on Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm looking at it thinking, okay, I can help you. But what if you had another grandmother um, who is not in education? Or don't have does not have an advanced degree. How would I be able to help you more? What I mean, you have a grandmother who has several computers here, and he has his own. Plus, they're connected not only to the internet that is reliable, paid lots of money for it, but it's reliable, fast speed. But it's also he can wireless wirelessly uh, connect to his um, his uh to the to the uh what do you call it the the printer right. So he has all the advantages um, when he comes. Well, first of all, you know, his own home. But when he comes to visit um, his grandmother, so a disproportionate number of black children, um, they live in poverty. Or let's not forget this group. Their families are the working poor, Mm -hmm. those essential workers. So the working poor. And I used to teach a class on this. All right. When I was at Vanderbilt, but I certainly still talk about it in all of my uh, classes and places. But the working poor would be uh, someone who works at a daycare. that can't not afford daycare. Someone who's a a car, an auto mechanic, but can't afford a car. Okay. so, I mean, it just really hurts my heart that that population is really neglected in our discussions of who gets um, further disadvantaged by this pandemic. And Dr. Dean, I wanna say some one more thing. You know, you, you already know this, um, same to you. Mr. Kirk, you already know this. Um, we have the COVID pandemic, but let's not forget, we have a racist pandemic. Mm. So our Black children, our Black families, the Black community is doubly disadvantaged. We're in a pandemic that existed before mm. COVID. Right. Let's go back to, you know, 1619. Let's right. keep it right. So um, we we have double, double disadvantage and that needs to be um, addressed. And therefore, educators and all professionals, they need to be more equitable mm. when working with us. Not equal, but equitable. You got to do things differently because our needs and our issues are different.
1: So, it's, I mean, wow, this is amazing you have a lot of key points. Homeschooling, um, the inadequacy for a lot of parents who can't homeschool because, you know, some maybe essential worker parents, the working poor, um, the double pandemic of being racially pand- pandemic, and then COVID, but also the school system itself, um, it wasn't adequately prepared for when they transition students home, um, having access to computers, Wi-Fi, and things of that nature. So, what does that say about our system, our school board system, not being adequately prepared to have students to be able to work from home, or you know, to transition to those you know, back and forth from school um, to their home environment with the necessary technology that needed, and preparing them for a world in the 21st century?
2: The COVID pandemic just um, highlighted and escalated. Um, the issues that are were already um, existing and entrenched in our educational system, where you have black kids disproportionately, you know, like lar- black schools, predominantly black schools, you you have injustices, you have racial injustices, you have economic injustices, and you don't have, you don't, um, they don't tend to have the programs, the resources, the um, people power in order to um, really meet the needs of our children. And I mean this sincerely, you can read Carter G. Woodson's The Miseducation of the Negro and just take that date off and slap 2021 and 2022 and hopefully not 2023 on it. Our children um, too often are just gravely uh, disadvantaged and It's not a secret. So we need um, leaders who are bold, who are unapologetic, who are unafraid to take on the status quo and to do what's right for our children and their families.
1: So do you think this is the call to action that um, our education system needs an overhaul where we have to reimagine now, since you you stated so so clearly, we have to reimagine and, a, a overhaul of the insights into the system that had already been systemically disenfranchising students of color. If, the, if COVID helped to highlight that, will the school system thus change, or will it go back to, well, this is the system we know. We've been doing it for over fifty years. It's been working. <laughs>
2: like it was designed to work and that is to further disadvantage those who are already disadvantaged. Um, If the black community and you know we're we're not homogeneous so but I'm still you saying community but if the black community does not speak up and hold educators accountable we will go back to I mean we will continue to be um, disadvantaged and disenfranchised Uh, miseducated. So you talked about a call. We need a damn clarion call. Mm. A clarion call to bring about equitable change and stop treating our uh, children as throwaway uh, individuals. Um, We don't need, and I'm not trying to play with words. I'm very serious. We don't need a reform. We need a damn revolution. A reform is not enough. And yes, it is my professional opinion, my personal opinion, that we need to overhaul the educational system. But that means that we have to, when I say we right now, I'm talking about blacks and our allies and other minoritized groups. We need to um, hold these educators uh, and decision makers, the school boards, the superintendents, et cetera, um, accountable. I mean, look at the problems right now. We haven't even gotten to gifted education. <laughs> Right. and advanced placement, right. right? Just do this whole discussion on the in unjust educational system during the pandemic, before the pandemic, and let it not, you know, keep rearing its ugly head after the pandemic. Wow. I'm sorry, we need more empathy and compassion yeah. among those with um, power to give up some of their white privilege their economic privilege and their clout. And, mm-hmm. you know, spread this around. There is more than enough for all of us and stop hoarding all these resources. And uh, our educators, this is, I mean, I'm teaching a class right now called Anti Racist Culturally Responsive Education. And I have a similar one on uh, gifted and talented um, education and advanced placement. And my goal is to speak up and be a voice that um, is not going to be silenced. And you can, you can try to ignore me, but I'll tell you one thing, I'm persistent and <laughs> you will hear me.
1: Right. Uh, Scott, I know you want to th- jump in, but I just have one more question, Scott.
0: Go this? ahead, go ahead, go
1: ahead. But I want to talk about curricular changes because if we're talking about overhauling the education system, then these, uh, we need to talk about the curriculum changes because I, I, from, from what we're seeing now in this, in this pandemic is that there's a serious, problem with the curriculum in our education system in high schools and middle schools as well. What type of curricular changes do you do you suspect is needed most for our students, particularly students of color?
2: Well, if I can, let me uh, narrow it down um, to two uh, things, um, but I can certainly uh, talk about more. So one is, and I've written about it, one is that we need to have more rigor. In our classrooms, um, just in any setting overall, but where there are where there are black and other minoritized children, and I say I've written about this, I've said this: what black children are getting now is not too often rigor. We're getting rigor mortis. We are bored. We are disengaged. We are unaffirmed as culturally and response uh, culturally responsive um, individuals so one is we need educators to have higher expectations and with higher expectations uh becomes um uh, more challenge uh the second thing is and this is just as large we need to stop having culture blind curriculum mm. we so i'm playing with color blind, but we we need to stop having culture blind curriculum where, um, as Rudine Sims Bishop, Professor Emeritus here at OSU, Ohio State University, where our children get to see mirrors, see themselves with, reflected, positively reflected and affirmed in the curriculum. Uh, black History Month is coming up now. I'm happy that we do have a little bit of attention uh, to black history during those 28, maybe 29 days on leap, leap year but that is not enough. Right. Teachers go into their closets and dust off, you know, their posters and books and videos and whatever else and do this for one month and then go back to business as usual too often. I cannot say enough that we need educators to provide not just but by the way, not just minoritized children, white children right. need. Multicultural education. <laughs> right, so we need to do this for all of our our children. It's a win win situation. And related to that, and this is a piece that just came out. I think it was yesterday or the day before in Diverse Issues that myself and two other colleagues uh, wrote. But we talked about the positive of uh, multicultural literature.
1: Mm. And so
2: we 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 started off with a real story of a little two-year-old who was watching a Disney show. And when he saw the character, he thought it was him. And he got so excited. And that's what our children uh, do when they see characters on television, in movies, in uh, books and more that look like them and they want to read. So many people know about being illiterate. You know, you can't read at a certain level.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: all right and but they don't know as much about being a literate and that is you can read but you won't you can read but you don't and we have our children talking about i don't want to read that i want a book with a black girl on it i want a book with a black boy on it i'm not reading that right. and it's real so we need to be more responsive with this curriculum last i'll say i developed in 1999 what is called the um, Ford's My Bloom Banks Matrix. So it's based on Bloom's taxonomy for rigor and it's based on James Banks four levels of how to infuse multicultural content in the curriculum. So the two lowest levels, no. The two highest levels, yes. But most schools are at the two lowest levels, which is additive, I'm sorry, contributions and additive. They're not at transformation and social action slash social justice. So again, it goes back to miss education. Right. Um, so yes, we need rigor and we need relevance.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Dr. Ford, talk about your field of expertise, which I find fascinating in the whole gifted, talented education system across the country. Can you briefly tell us what qualifies a student to be labeled as gifted? What does what does a student or a child have to do to earn that classification?
2: A very important question. And some of your um, listeners would be surprised, may be surprised to hear this. Special education, there's a federal mandate. Gifted education, or I prefer to say gifted and talented education, Um, There is no federal mandate. So if there is going to be gifted education um, identification Mm -hmm. and education um, classes or services, it happens at the state level. And you can have a state that um, has a mandate to identify, but not a mandate to serve Mm -hmm. and um, or not get fundings. And that's how Ohio is in one is is one of those um, states. You can have a a, a state where there is um, no mandate, but then they but they still may give partial uh, funding to try to encourage services. So it is is just a hodgepodge. So just
0: to clarify, basically in Ohio, there is a requirement to identify students who could be gifted and talented but there's no mandate to actually do anything once they they've been identified
2: i mean so imagine that you get a letter you know your child is gifted and i'm being facetious oh well that's not my problem you find out what you're going to do with this child
0: got you for parents us particularly for this conversation parents um who have children of color parents of black children. Should they be trying, should black parents be trying to get their kids into these programs, regardless of whether they've, they've been identified by somebody else? Should black parents be pushing for this? And it, what is the benefit of of having your child in one of these programs? What does it, does it give them a leg up? Does it give them an advantage over the other students? Dr. Dean mentioned some of his students in his classes seem ill-prepared. So if, if we have more uh, black kids and students of color in these programs, would that prepare them better for uh, for college level classes? Yes, I guess so it's
2: it uh, work backwards with your um, your questions. Mm-hmm. And the first thing is, yes, if students are in gifted and talented education and especially advanced placement then it better prepares them for higher education. And that's the purpose of advanced placement. But let me be clear, advanced placement is not designed just because a child is gifted. Any child who expressed an interest in taking uh, college preparation uh, classes or college-like classes, Mm -hmm. they're supposed to be um, allowed to take gifted education to take AP classes. I'm sorry, but we have school counselors and educators who use AP only to serve gifted students, which is a, a violation of the College Board's policy. And that goes back to this: um, the racism and the classism and the deficit um, thinking. So you don't have to have an A. You don't have to have a a high test scores to take advanced placement. You say I'm interested in advanced placement or the family communicates that. Um, The second one, is there a benefit to taking gifted education? Um, You are not privileging uh, students by um, having them um, enroll in gifted education classes if they truly need more challenge. So what you have is you have the general ed curriculum and you have students who are challenged by that. When you, mm-hmm. but you need more than what the general education um, mm-hmm. curriculum offers, then you require gifted education classes. So that could mean you need um, more um, depth and challenge in, um, uh, in math or in science or in language arts or in you know social studies/history slash history. so it's those core areas that um, those four core areas that are looked at and the belief is and it's true if you require more challenge and you don't get it then you become and you, which is my was my dissertation a gifted underachiever so, so you i mean gifted education and advanced placement are misused and abused and so people look at it as, you know, you need something special when really you is not something uh, special. So we, we need to make sure our children are uh, who really do require more challenge are in gifted education classes. But what happens is you just have to be white and in higher income and you can pay and bribe and do other kinds of corrupt things to get your child in gifted education and that is Prevalent. The last piece I'll say is um, the number. Okay, so black students. I'm using data from the Office of Civil Rights, the Civil Rights Data Collection, so OCR, mm-hmm. and um, you can just go to um, OCRData.ed.gov, and within minutes you can calculate underrepresentation in the state, in the nation, in the in the school district, and down to the school building down to the school building, okay? So it gives you the demographics of gifted education and all other, um, uh, just uh, just so many other variables, but we're talking about gifted education. But let me say the number one reason that black students, more than any other group of students, are underrepresented in gifted education and advanced placement is that teachers do not refer us. And I want to be clear. Okay, so here you have, you know, um, Dr. Dean who has a PhD. You have Mm -hmm. a PhD. Um, Even when we have the same, our families have the same educational level, the Mm -hmm. same income level, you know, basically the same credentials. When our students have the same test scores as as white students, the same grades as white students, do you know that teachers still underrefer us? So it's not that they're underreferring black children because they're low income. They're underreferring black children, period, period. So, Dr. Dean, Dr. Ford, you, we have to fight almost as hard to get our children in gifted programs as, you know, families that are low income. Now, you asked the question about family referrals. In the state of Ohio, anyone can refer children as gifted. The two of you can refer. The person in your church or place of worship can refer. Um, a sibling can refer. Another classmate can refer. And by the way, you can refer yourself. Um, but unfortunately, gifted education and advanced placement is often kept a mystery, a secret, for, to us, and um, and and or we have not been in gifted and uh, gifted education and. Um, gifted and talented education and AP classes, so we don't even know that they exist. And if we do know they they exist, we don't know how to um, many times get our children referred in order to be screened. So, you know, you could talk about test bias, which I do all day long. And uh, you can talk about, you know, other um, uh, barriers. The number one barrier is the educator. And and we're talking about this primarily white female uh, population. So when I say we're underrepresented, I'm saying that OCR data indicates that um, Black students are, for example, 19% of public schools. However, we're only 10% of gifted programs. Only 10% of gifted programs. That is about a 50% discrepancy. And you might like, okay, well, how many students are we talking about? We're talking about Hundreds of thousands of black students every year, every day, not being identified as gifted. So, going back to your question, um, Dr. Dean, about you know this pandemic, um, and just you know education in general, well, we also have those who need more challenge. Um, these are black students being further and further, uh, you know, behind, right? So, I want to ask this question, um, because I mean, which
1: is. Thank you for laying that out, which is very important, of how we get our students to gifted programs, how we advocate, continue to have to advocate, advocate gifted versus advanced placement. Um, I, I want to, you know, when I said they get to, when they get to college level, something, Scott, this goes back to your question about being ill-prepared when I said that, I, I want to clarify too that all gifted programs are not homogenous. So what they learn And gifted programs in Ohio is not the same as what they learn in New York. And so students who come to college who have been in gifted programs, who are Black um, students, and they tell me, oh, I was in a gifted program in my high school, and they tell me, well, and I said, where did you go to school? They say, well, I went to a school in Chicago. It was all Black students. And I was like, okay. And then when I hear students who went to um, um, an all-white school, um where they were a the minority student and they were in a gifted program so i was like okay so that's, you keep it's comparing those two there's the inner city school versus the school that's the outlier in the sub- suburbs where they were in gifted programs so i'm, I'm that's what i'm curious about when we say gifted programs <laughs> they're differently set up in various different places and now Dr. where share that
2: well let's back up a little bit yeah uh, it is another unfortunate reality, listen carefully. The majority of teachers assigned to gifted education classrooms have no training. Mm. No, they might even not even have a class, and yet, you know, a course, yet they're assigned. The majority of universities do not have gifted education um, uh, degrees or even classes. So where do teachers get their training? I mean, maybe, maybe professional development. So um, yeah, the, the again, going back to rigor, the rigor changes. Um, the services change state by state, not even state by state, district by district. I don't wanna name certain schools, say in Ohio or cities in Ohio, but yeah, what you get in school district A, in Ohio, <laughs> different, 15 miles away in yeah. school district B. Mm-hmm. And to make it even worse is you could be in school district A and be on the wealthy side of town and get more challenge and more resources than in the same district, but on the low income side of town or the primarily black side of town. So it's not even just across districts. It's, it's also within districts where the curriculum, um, you know, is is not the same. Bottom line is the majority of teachers, again, have no training in gifted education, which is, um, I'm happy to say, I, I just started and it happened this semester, um, gifted education endorsement with an anti-racist, culturally responsive, focus here at OSU with right now in the intro to gifted education, um, course, and it's our third course, um, actually, uh, was, uh, yesterday. All right. So it's on Tuesdays. Um, yeah, on Tuesdays, but, um, anyway, I, what I'm just trying to say is, um, you just don't know what your st- child is going to get when they're, um, assigned, um, to be in gifted education. And, um, it, it, it really does uh, vary. So what teachers usually do is OK, you know, Terrence and Scott, you, you two are in the gifted program. So instead of instead of 15 spelling words, I'm going to give you 20. Mm-hmm. Instead of your paper having to be five pages, you need to write a seven page paper. So it is like more work quantity, but not quality. Right. Wow. Now, I, I was I was in gifted programs, and I I graduated from um, East Cleveland Shaw uh, High School, um, but I also was in the Cleveland schools. In one year, uh, as a tenth grader, I went to a private school on an A B C scholarship. And as much as I hated being at that private, all girls, wealthy, um, uh, uh, high school in the tenth grade. That one year prepared me to um, be ready for college, and it did more than the eleventh and twelfth grade. Wow! Wow! You know, I hope you understood what I just said. What I said. Yeah. So, but if I hadn't gone to that private school, um, I don't think I would have been as ready. Yeah. yeah There's
1: a that I read. I don't know if you heard of it called "Clueless in Academy." Um, And it's a white professor who talks about how white children from um, elementary to middle school to high school are prepared and trained throughout the educational system around testing, how to write papers, um, how to prepare for a college level um, education. He compared that to black students um, and black communities who are not properly um, trained and prepared on testing. know writing papers. So by the time students of color get to college, they're basically at an eighth grade level or ninth grade level versus their white counterparts who have already been trained throughout their entire um um, um, I guess but elementary, middle school and high school level training. And so so that's why I was asking the, the disservice that our educational system has, how do we You said there needs to be a revolution in overhauling that. Will that happen? Are are the resources there available? Well,
0: my question is, to add on to Dr. Dean's question, if these things are necessary that are being taught in the gifted and talented curriculum, why don't we just make it for everybody? Why is there this special (laughs) curriculum for some? students? Why don't we just teach these things to all of the kids? Why don't we just do that?
2: Yeah, so when we, people talk about gifted education curriculum, I mean, there's different models out there, but the one I believe in is where you take the, you take the district's curriculum, the general, general education curriculum, and you modify it, right? Mm-hmm. So students may um, be, uh, you know, compacted. So they, they don't spend as much time on that unit because they already know it. Right. Or they may be accelerated, they go uh, a little faster. Or they might uh, be, know so much about it that you don't want to uh, waste their time trying to reteach it so you can give them some, like, independent study assignments right. and more. Um, there's also subject acceleration, grade skipping. I mean, there's those many types of services, but they don't, don't always exist Uh, equally, so to speak, um, throughout um, districts. So I think like some of the strategies that trained gifted education teachers have can be used in the general education curriculum. And so I do advocate that all teachers get some gifted education training and I've made that recommendation even to the Columbus City Schools, and that's what we are negotiating uh, now. Right now is an end of one. I'm the only one assigned teaching gifted education classes, although we have um, Dr. James Moore, who is well more, James Moore III, the third Vice uh, Provost for Equity, Diversity and Inclusion here. Uh, uh, one of my um, dearest uh, colleagues He is uh, another person who's trained, but beyond the two of us, there's not many so um, but we we are going to do better and do right by teachers to make sure they get trained. So I gotta say this again. You don't give them a different, give the give students a different curriculum. You use a general education curriculum and you make modifications. Right. And that would take away this elitism and you're doing something special, et cetera. By the way, you do the same with special ed- students in special education. You take the general education curriculum and you modify it based on what um, their needs are. Uh, but I want to go back to something um, Dr. Dean said, and that is this. Um, going back, to, you know, to the book that you mentioned, that is just all too familiar. Um, you graduate from um, a low-performing district, all right? A low-performing district, and you're in the twelfth grade. You probably, if you lucky, got a damn eighth-grade education. You said eleventh, and then you have another school district, and one I'm thinking of here in Ohio, but I'm and I'm close by. But you know, those students. Are in the 12th grade and they're doing college work already so one is getting eighth grade the other one's getting college they're like eight damn years um ahead all right eight eight and i remember venting about that when i lived here before here in columbus um because i knew the schools more i've only been back like a little over two years i knew the schools more and i you could tell me the name of the school and i could predict um the quality of the curriculum and right. the training of the teachers uh, uh, by that. But yeah, you can graduate the valedictorian right. and still be unprepared for college. And I have to say that's more for the two year colleges. Thank goodness we have, I'm sorry, for the four year colleges um, unprepared. Thank goodness we have the community colleges, the two year colleges, you know, to provide that safety net to help um, our underprepared but very capable Black students. I repeat, undereducated, underprepared, but very capable Black students to um, do well in, a, you know, in a, in a university of four-plus um, year um, institution.
1: We can go on and on. I mean, this is such an important issue. Um, how can teachers find out about the um, the training that you're doing at Ohio State, to if they're interested in, you know, do they already have to have certain certificates and you know, um, expertise, um, is it open to others who may be interested in um, being a part of that? And what you and Dr. James Moore are doing, as far as being the two that you know of who are doing this work, um, how can they find out more about it and how can they enroll in in your classes?
2: Well, Thank goodness Columbus City Schools knows about it based from my um, time here before and I have kept up with some of the um, uh, teachers and administrators in gifted education even when I was a- away. So we have a cohort, I believe it's 20 teachers wow. who are getting this um, endorsement. So you already have to, you know, have your um, undergraduate degree. Mm -hmm. in order to um, get an endorsement so this is an add-on and um, I don't have the papers in front of me but I believe it's six classes that um, uh, that we you know we will have and again we already started with the intro um, to gifted education gifted and talented education class right now and some other schools school district, I'm sorry, have heard, you know, that I'm back. And so we are having conversations about can we have um, a cohort of their um, teachers.
1: And what, And so does the school district help cover the finances for those courses? Yes. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. Great. Dr. Ford, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking your time to share with us about What's important, why it's important, the overhauling, also the revolution that needs to take place, <laughs> uh, educational system, um, but also how parents can actually know the difference in advocating for the kids around gift education, you know, advanced um, placement. Um, it's so much to take away, but well, hopefully we can bring you back again, I'm pretty sure people are going to have a lot more questions, because this pandemic just really did, like you said, shot the, I mean, shine a bright spinet to shot light onto our systems. Um, And the disadvantages that continues to on the highlight for us. So thank you for your time. Yes, thank you you.
2: (laughs) Well, let me me, I always like to end with a some kind of quote Okay, okay, Okay. so when I was growing up um, and it's still I see it every now and then I would always hear the United Negro College fund and they said a mind is a terrible thing to waste and that motivated me to like keep keep staying focused And I created this word that doesn't exist, but it's focalized, focused and organized. All right. So keep focalized. But anyway, the United Negro College Fund says a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And Donna Y. Ford says a mind is a terrible thing to erase. Mm. All right.
1: Love that. Love that. that. Yeah. (laughs) Mind is a terrible thing to erase. That's a book right
0: there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't, couldn't think, uh, you, Dr. Ford, I couldn't yeah. think of a better um, better way to, to show us out. For everybody else out there, you can find this episode on Dispatch.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And please consider supporting local journalism by becoming a subscriber and check back regularly for the next installment in the In Black and White podcast series.